0: Descartes the French philosopher famously says, uh, I think therefore I am. We as people, like our identities, our personalities, our likes, our dislikes, fond memories, the terrible memories, they're really all encapsulated in the mind. If I lose an arm, I'm still Ian. But when you have something that happens to your mind, that can be really, really scary.
1: Welcome to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. Whether it's used to unearth our deepest fears, break down norms, or create uncertainty in our readers, madness is a common fiction trope. Author Ian Young joins the podcast today to talk about his personal experience with madness, the importance of mental health education, and the ways writers can use madness effectively in their stories. Ian Young. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about madness. So let's get started with you introducing yourself and your work to our listeners.
0: Uh, yeah. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. Um, this is this is huge. This is a big, big part of my day. It's my birthday today, so I'm spending oh, it. Happy birthday. Having fun. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a writer. Uh, I have uh, one book to my name recently, recently published. My debut novel is The Automaton. Uh, out in October.
1: I do highly recommend. And the cover art was beautiful. That's what grabbed my attention. I'm very much like a cover junkie. Yeah. If the cover's gorgeous, I want to collect it reading the story. I'm like, this is so intriguing. So yeah.
0: Did you did you actually finish it?
1: I have not. And the reason why is because <laughs> I injured my neck and I can't read. So I'm on audiobooks right now. I have a I have a whole list of books that I have waiting for me for when my neck gets better because. what happens is if I read too quick, like too before it has healed, I re-injure it all over again. Yeah, so yours (laughs) is at the top of the pile. I have it over here. It's my to to be read list. And in the meantime, I'm listening to all this silly Harry spare book and the royal stuff, which is just like trash (laughs) stuff, but it's easy (laughs) to consume audibly. And if you ever do record your book, definitely like read it yourself or get a voice actor because I'm finding so many audiobooks that have robots that read them. And maybe that actually might be fitting for yours. I was going to say
0: that, yeah, I don't, maybe I don't want to fight that. Maybe,
1: maybe you don't want to fight it, but with, uh, with the robots, no, I think the context of yours is actually way more fitting. But when I'm listening to like a standard, you know, fantasy or whatever, and it's a robot reading to me, I get, oh, it's yeah. a card, you know, so, but maybe maybe a better advice is pick an audio reader that's perfectly fitting for your story.
0: <laughs> Fun yeah. story about that cover. Um, So that cover that you mentioned was done by my like one of my best friends um, Michael Thompson who drew that as like a goof around drawing like when he was in high school Mm -hmm. and I just happened to find it in his artwork and basically became obsessed with it and so that's where the story came from partly is just from that picture it's the cover I literally just got a tattoo of it I love it And, and then if you ask him like hey how do you feel about it he's like yeah it's all right no, oh. like still now he's just like, yeah, I could do better.
1: Oh, well, isn't that the standard curse that I think all creatives oh, have sure. to deal with?
0: For sure.
1: They will never be completely satisfied. Yeah. All right, I have some rapid fire warm-up questions for you before we get Let's to the topic. It. Okay. if you had to make a meal with just what you have in your fridge right now, what do you think it would be?
0: Sad. um, it'd probably be uh, a sandwich.
1: If you had to choose between owning a hamster or a bird, which would you choose?
0: Bird? Easily.
1: Right. Do you want one that talks?
0: Only if it can swear.
1: Well, then you have to swear at it, and then it'll I know, swear yeah. at you. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite ice cream flavor?
0: Uh, cookies and cream.
1: What is a book or movie that left you completely unsure of what just happened?
0: um Interstellar. Oh yes. I definitely had to watch that a few times and Google it just to make sure I truly understood what was going on. Oh. I don't even know if I still know. Yep.
1: Have you ever had an experience where you felt like you lost touch with reality?
0: Yes. Absolutely. Oh, really? I guess maybe this is this is um This is the segue. This is the segue. This is the actually maybe what I'm most qualified for. I'm one of many individuals who suffers from depression and anxiety. It's something that has definitely sort of become at the forefront of my life. So about three, two and a half years ago, I did end up having, I think what we would call like a nervous breakdown where I did have to be sent to a hospital. I would have um, some pretty, pretty dangerous thoughts. The first night in the hospital, I ended up having sort of like a really bad anxiety attack. And I kind of found myself literally in what you would think of as like a stereotypical uh, quote unquote crazy person where I was literally like rocking myself, self-soothing myself, you know, on the bed, rocking back and forth, just bawling my eyes out. And I think after the fact, I was like, okay, I think that's the closest I've ever been to sort of really losing control of how I was feeling, how I was thinking.
1: That's a scary situation. I'm sorry you went through that.
0: Well, it wasn't fun. The good news is, is that I'm much better, you know, giving, having uh, therapy and, um, you know, a a psychiatrist who really does a good job with the medications and and that sort of thing. Um, it mean, it really helps.
1: Do you think it was a product of just like external influences, stimulations, just everything kind of coming together? Do you think it was age? Do you have any thoughts on there's, that?
0: Yeah, there's so there's a lot to it for sure. So things like depression are. Or can be genetic, so I know it it runs rampant in my family. So I wasn't like super surprised when they're like, "Hey, man, you got depression." I'm like, "Oh, yeah, makes sense." I know a lot of it was part of the pandemic, the stress. Um, so I have a, I have two kids, um, having them leave school and trying to be a teacher for them, trying to be a parent for them, keep them sane while keeping myself sane, and both my wife and I having a full time job. Mm-hmm trying to then transition home, it just, it was, it was a lot. I was worked at a company that serviced hospital equipment. Part of my job was to help these giant hospital systems budget like three years out, the hospital equipment that they should buy. And I'm talking like we'd get up into millions of dollars. That can be a lot of stress. Just one day, I think I'd worked like seven, eight hours straight. And I'm talking about morning to night on my computer. And I just hit this point where I couldn't. You could have walked up and given me a billion dollars and say write a word, and I couldn't have
1: mm, burn burnout. Well, then you and I went back and forth, really trying to nail down this topic and hearing yeah. about your experiences. Completely makes sense, you know why madness the, the topic of madness would appeal to you. But tell me about why you were here. Were you curious about talking about this? What interests you in the topic?
0: It's something that's just so prevalent in media as far as both you know, if you look at movies or books, it's a trope, it's a plot device, then we also have it in real life too. just exactly what we just talked about. Um, Even things like, you know, with school shootings, you know, this is America, we have them, it seems way too often. And um, the one thing that I had noticed was, they would say, such and such person carried out this act, and then they had to take take the time to say, oh, but there were no noted hints of mental illness. You know how many people have a mental illness that are totally safe? The vast majority of them. And the number of people that actually have a mental illness that perform those acts are even smaller. Like there are other reasons why people do that. A lot of times from what I've read, mental illness isn't a part of it. There's other things going on. Yeah, it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, we are becoming a society that's way more cognizant of the way we represent things, the way we talk about things, and you know, and you know, you and I probably say too, you're just like, oh man, that's crazy,
1: mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and like you the never, very casual, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And it's like, yeah, if we ever like sit and talk about stuff, it's you know, it's just a good time. I think to sit back yeah. and talk about topics like this.
1: Okay, so let's talk about how is madness generally used in fiction? Um, I figure we can talk about its uses and examples. So would you like to go first? We can bounce back and forth.
0: Yeah, so I think, you know, the first question is, if I say picture someone who's gone mad, what do you picture?
1: My first thought would be someone who has lost a connection with reality.
0: Right. And I think when anybody uses that term, someone going mad or this is madness or something, I think we all collectively sort understand what they mean. The way that I see madness used is twofold. There's probably more. The, the ones that came to my mind was using it as a label rather than going through a list of adjectives or behaviors. We can say a person is mad. And then, you know, we kind of go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, we as a society... We Like we need to label things. We need to know things. We need to classify things. It's just the way our brain works. I mean, this is why things like pronouns become such a hot topic. It's just changing the way that we've learned how to classify things. In some cases, other cases, obviously are terrible, but people being upset, I should say in that regard, but we have to classify things. And if there's a way for us to easily explain a person's behavior, there is a comfort to mm-hmm. that. Think of it as sort of a plot point in that you know when we think of like bruno from encanto right when we talk about him being mad we all know what that means the other one i could think of is like dr frankenstein right he's always considered the mad scientist and when he says that you're like okay yeah that excuses you digging up bodies dismembering them sewing them together and then creating a person there's a chaos that presents itself with madness and despite what we think, like our lives are actually very orderly, you know, despite how we think of like life throwing us curveballs and all that stuff. I have an example, or like a little story. When you think about someone coming up to pick up your mail, that might not be something that you think is very ordered, but you understand that the mail carrier is going to come every day, but Sunday, and they're going to come at a certain time. You have to put your envelopes in the Uh, mailbox, put the flag up, they will then take it, put the flag down, put yours in and drive away. Like that's super boring, typical example, but that's regular, that's constant, that's, that's order. If for one day, your mail carrier comes, uh, lifts up the flag, uh, Mm -hmm. sets your mailbox on fire, and then uh, starts playing loud polka music, and then throwing pink flamingos at your car, That's not normal. Having that chaos, there's no way you can predict it. There's no way you can deal with it. There's no way that you can like rationalize it unless you put that label of madness on there. And then you're like, okay, all right, that makes sense. And so that's the label aspect. Now, if we look at it in another way, me telling you that story, and obviously it's a little silly, but imagine standing right there while that's happening. That's scary. I think there's a fear to it. There's a fear when you have the person being chased by the, you know, the monster with a chainsaw or something like that. There's an unpredictability. There's a chaos to it. And there's a fear that comes from it.
1: You, you mentioned two things like the the juxtaposition of the silliness of the, the details that you gave versus the oh. horror. And it is, when I was looking at examples of madness in fiction, The whimsical and the hallucinatory, a really good representation of that dichotomy is like Alice in Wonderland and how everything Mm -hmm. is labeled as it's like, it's a maddening experience. She's gone mad or even like the Chester cat is mad. And then you have the movie Requiem for a Dream where it's about people who are um, abusing drugs and a woman who increases her amphetamines starts to hallucinate things in her home that kind of sound funny at first. Like if you're just kind of casually explaining it to someone that the fridge is opening and closing and she was watching a game show and she envisioned that she was in the game show. But then yeah. when you actually see the reality of her experience, it's that was one of the most terrifying scenes. And I couldn't sure. imagine that feeling of being trapped in a situation like that. So yeah, the whimsical versus like the scary, um, it's there's like an interesting line between them.
0: There is. And then there's also a line of being around madness versus being the madness. If you think of like Descartes, Descartes, Rene Descartes, the French philosopher famously says, uh, I think therefore I am. We as people, like our identities, our personalities, what our likes, our dislikes, um, the names of loved ones, the fond memories, the terrible memories, they're really all encapsulated in the mind, right? If I lose an arm, I'm still Ian. But when you have something that happens to your mind, that can be really really scary have you ever heard of the king in yellow
1: i don't think i have
0: so the king in yellow is like pre-hp lovecraft horror written by a gentleman named robert w chambers and in his books they're actually a series of short stories there is this continuous idea of a play the play is called uh, the king in yellow and it is said that whomever reads that play I just acted out. Reads that play, will go mad. It brings this fear around it of, if I do this, I'm going to lose my ability to understand reality.
1: Like that, like it's a play within the story, or if it's an actual right. play that if you were to read.
0: Well, okay. So the best part is that it isn't even a full play. It is only mentioned in these stories about how it makes you mad, not angry, but you know what I mean, mad madness. Um, that it, it, it like really puts like a, a, a tinge of tension there and, and fear. Um, and then, of course, H.P. Lovecraft did this a lot in his works, talking about, you know, gazing upon the old gods and instantly going insane and that sort of thing. And I think that there is a fear for us as individuals, maybe if we don't even think about it consciously, of losing our ability to understand what's going on.
1: Do you think that because i was going to mention lovecraft as well the idea of seeing something that is just so otherworldly i mean i also see it being referenced in things for example the idea that when you're looking up at the sky you're also looking down and kind of changing the way you you view your placement in the world and the idea that if you think about that long enough you'll go mad you know like in a very dramatic sense but yeah do you think that that kind of madness stems from realizing that our all of our norms are actually wrong because then wouldn't that be enlightenment
0: yeah and i don't even know i don't know if it's even about being wrong if it's just being different when you think of how we live our lives it's very set by ourselves and it's set by others and when you look at the grand scheme of life and everything it's like wow so i mean i think yeah there is an element of this being wrong
1: or just the idea that madness is it's like uh it's used as a literary device to show liberation of social norms, and I saw that oh, in, for sure. example, yes. "Don't Worry, Darling," the movie that came out with Florence Pugh. Spoiler: This is a spoiler. Is yeah. she is actually living in this digital kind of projection of this perfect world that she was placed in there by the man in her life, and so she doesn't know that she feels like she's going mad because until she learns the truth about her circumstances. She mm-hmm. kind of believes this reality where she's living in this retro style um, supposed utopia where the where the woman stays home and cooks and cleans and the man disappears to go to work every day and then slowly things start to go wrong and she thinks she's going crazy or mad and her neighbor like, kind of was like the the warning don't go mad like your neighbor did something will happen to you like it did to her so like all these oh, nice. you know, systems in place to make sure she doesn't question her surroundings, but eventually she gets validation in the end because her madness was actually her seeing through the veil. Because I think it, that you want to question if they're the actual culprit or if they're just the victim. And many times it's just this poor woman who has been abused and is just trying to cope the best she can, but they're using madness to make the reader unsure.
0: The unreliable Sarah. narrator. Narrator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Look, despite, you know, me saying that we need to like seriously talk about mental health as a society, like I still dig it. Like I love like the, the unreliable narrator is it's got to be like one of my favorite things because I don't know, I think of like Fight Club and maybe that's not exactly what you're getting at. But, you know, you think one thing is really happening when it's actually something else. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really clever and to be able to pull it off. Well, was a really clever way to to use it as long as you're using it appropriately
1: because in the real world you have to be so careful with people who have like for example i've seen tiktok accounts with people who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia and they'll try to um recreate what it uh, sounds like for them to hear voices and and hallucinations and all those things and people will make it in comments no you're just seeing through the veil And they always say, it's so important. (laughs) You don't tell people that are diagnosed with that condition, those things, it's very harmful. So it is really interesting, the difference between the real life diagnosis and the experience versus what, how fiction uses it.
0: Well, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I totally agree. Don't say those things. There's, there's a romanticism to the, to books and movies, a hundred percent. And there's, you know, nothing that you see. In movies and, and and books, I mean, that doesn't totally happen in real life, right? There's always some twist because we as humans, we want to be entertained and we want to feel things that we don't feel in real life. Wouldn't that be an amazing discovery to actually look behind the veil and see what's really going on to that point? Have you ever heard of uh, the simulation theory?
1: No, that sounds intriguing. <laughs>
0: yeah. So the simulation theory is basically the the idea that we as humans can progress in, in say the ability to create computer games or video games a CGI that becomes more and more realistic and more and more lifelike and with the rise in artificial intelligence that it actually isn't too terribly, and of course I say the word crazy to say that we could not be living in a simulation, mm. that the world that we think of now is actually a simulation run by some higher beings.
1: Like you know, the Matrix?
0: computer Exactly. Like the matrix. And of course, the interesting thing about this is that if you look at the math that some scientists use to say like, hey, this is a pretty good probability. And I don't know about you, that terrifies me, right? So I don't even know if I want to look behind the veil. I would love to be completely ignorant.
1: It's interesting because I feel like there's so many ways that we try to explain the man behind the curtain, um, yeah. whether, whether it's a simulation, whether it's you know religious affiliations and explanations and mythological things. And I, I wonder if humans are in the context of like simulation theory, if humans are terrified of learning that they don't have the autonomy they think they have. Or the control that they they have, they they're actually completely submissive oh, um, the entire sure. time.
0: For sure. I mean, philosophers have debated that forever. You know, is this real? And then, is there such thing as fate?
1: Yeah, you know, there's a postmodern novel called House of Leaves by Mark Z. Daniel Danielus. I'm really sorry if I butchered that. That book, uh, it's postmodern. That one is meant to try to make the reader feel like they're going mad. As they read it so the book is about a family that moves into a house and the father measures the outside of the house and the inside of the house and realizes that there's like a couple feet difference between sure. what the inside measures and what the outside measures so he's wondering what is this extra feet and he ends up opening up like this weird like chasm stairwell that goes into a different dimension or something like that but as you are reading it the further in you get the more unhinged it feels as a spectator, as a reader, so sure. that you start to feel the, the madness. And in the house of leaves, they start playing with the way the letters appear on the page. At one point, it's just the, when you open it up, the spread itself, it's just letters going down a spiral into the center of the page. And so you're having to turn the book around as you're reading, <laughs> just it's kind of, it's, it's, a little, it's unhinged, but it's, yeah. it's a really interesting way of making the reader feel uncomfortable and to various, you know, effects. Some people really felt it and other people thought it was silly, but I thought that was interesting. And then the alternative to that, uh, the alternative of you descending into madness, the further into the story you go is uh, coming out of madness into reality. Moulin Rouge, the movie with Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman, I felt did this, like the way they approach storytelling in the first uh, 15, 20 minutes of the movie is very rapid um, the cuts are sharp, the close-ups are intense, and it's mm-hmm. meant to make you feel like the jubilee of of this carefree uh, revolution, right, in France. And right. then as the story gets more intense, the cinematography becomes more traditional, more theatrical, and more settled until it's like really slow. And And I thought that was also a really interesting way of portraying like a shift in and out of madness.
0: Anything like that? I mean, having, trying to to relate how people feel in interesting ways, in ways that we don't normally sense and feel things. I just, I think that's great. I think that's a marvelous way to to do it. Again, the caveat is to do it appropriately. And I think that that's a hard line.
1: Do you think reading about madness and its various portrayals can affect how a person then views madness in the real world?
0: Oh, hundred percent. I mean, if you watch anything or read anything, Like, for instance, let's say a cop drama, right? And then you talk to a real cop. They're like, that's not how it works. That's not what we do. Mm -hmm. There's It's changed to fit the needs of the reader or the watcher. When it comes to something like this, which is a, a, you know, in real terms, we'd call it maybe like a psychotic break or, you know, you could maybe say nervous breakdown. But if you want like the strict definition of losing sense with reality, that'd be a scientific, Jesus, that'd be a psychotic break having that portrayed in a way that it doesn't normally do I think can make it dangerous for people not only who do watch it and maybe uh, or people who maybe have it and don't know that they have it those sorts of let's call them norms that um, military shows and cop dramas and all doctor shows do it all the time oh my god I couldn't tell you how often I got ticked off watching house I couldn't watch house it was (laughs) the doctors were way too involved in the lab work. Let me just tell you (laughs) as a, as a former lab tech. um, Oh
1: my gosh. That's funny. (laughs) um,
0: That, that I think we, as people start to gain a sense of, okay, this is how it is. And not knowing how it actually really is. Have
1: you ever read Mm -hmm. a fiction that covered madness that made you frustrated?
0: You know, I try to think if there was something, I think the thing that really like irks me personally is that every depressed person is a, you know, a teenage demo mm. kid who's got like, you know, so he's talking like this and life is pain. Like that's, that's not how everybody is. Come on. I mean, there's like, look at Robin Williams, right? Like that guy yeah. suffered from depression and everybody would say like, Oh, he never acted depressed it's like yeah cuz that's not how it really happens
1: well like that opens up the whole like maybe we can transition to real life cases of madness about people's perceptions of madness and social support or lack thereof when people start to realize the truth behind like how many big personalities and many comics do suffer depression and anxiety and we just think oh that can't possibly like we believe the the act exactly you know the facade yeah what are your thoughts on that the real life cases and how the how we deal with mental health
0: with the the thing of media or um like news outlets like using mental health as a label or an excuse that makes people so often not want to get help i actually talked with my psychiatrist i just had an appointment with her and I, i actually asked her i was like hey what's something in media or or books or movies or whatever that you don't like. And she's like, you know, one of the biggest things that she hates is when media shows someone having a psychotic break or even having like suicidal ideation, like immediately immediately being placed in a straitjacket and you know, thrown thrown into a a cell at the asylum or something like that. And she has said that she has had a lot of patients who have had for example, uh, suicidal ideology that don't tell her Mm. that have waited until it's gone too far um, because of being afraid of being literally hauled away into a madhouse.
1: And that's why people turn to like the internet, right? Because they feel so scared. So then they start looking up things online, which could also like, I mean, the internet's not a doctor, and you get exposure to so many things, which adds to your the anxiety or it could make your symptoms worse. When I had postpartum, um, and it's funny because when I was in postpartum, after having my kids, I didn't realize that that was what I was dealing with. Looking back, it's very obvious that's what I was dealing with because I wasn't sad. Like I'd fill out all these surveys and they'd be like, are you feeling sad? Are you having this? Like, no, no, no. But what I was dealing with was intrusive thoughts. And mm-hmm. um, I didn't recognize that was what that was because I wasn't educated on it and a lot of, in my case, intrusive thoughts can be dealt with by talking openly about it. But if you're terrified about what you're thinking about, you're not going to want to talk about it.
0: I mean, I can speak to to my personal case. Um, it's actually funny how you mentioned the internet. The internet actually was the one that got me to go seek help.
1: Oh, good uh, for you. There's
0: only, there's only too many times you can like type in, am I being suicidal? And then it tell you the suicide hotline where you go, okay okay. I should probably go. I'm so Um, glad you
1: did that. That's wonderful.
0: Oh yeah, me too. (laughs) Um, but you know, there was this feeling of, they're like, okay, you know, we need to take you to a psychiatric hospital. We need to give you some, get you some help. And like, I remember having this thought of like, oh, all right. Now I'm one of those people. Right. And it's so stigmatizing. And, you know, obviously I don't think that anymore, um, having gone through it and you learning more, um, but yeah, hundred percent there's, there's, there's a a shame and a, and a stigma.
1: The beautiful part about being on for um, speaking from my experience, of course, unpacking your own histories and your own biases and trying to figure out why do you feel the way that you feel and, and all that stuff. Then you start to kind of see the world in a new lens and you start to recognize not necessarily like I would never diagnose someone else, but you start to recognize similarities in your past and, and some of the people around you. And then you realize, you know, um, we're all kind of on our own separate journeys. And some of us are more well, more aware of it. Um, some of them, some of us are coping with the aftermaths of it and feeling comfortable talking about it. Some people are still hiding, right. And trying to cover yeah, it, Exactly. You, being on this side, I realize it's not that lonely, but when you're in the thick of it, it's so lonely because you don't know that yet.
0: When I first recognized that I was showing symptoms of depression, this had been happening for years, and it wasn't until I finally was like, hmm, I think this might be something. I was told that I should check out this book. It's called Darkness Visible, colon, A Memoir of Madness uh, by William Styron. And it's a very thin book. It's, it's really not that big at all, but he talks about how having depression and wanting to end one's life was sort of like this thing that artists went through, you know, like, oh, if you're a writer, like, this is just a thing that happens. And, you know, this is a long time ago, and it wasn't really well known, but he started talking about the way he was thinking at the time. He described his symptoms, he talked about the intrusive thoughts, the suicidal ideation. As I was reading it, I was like, holy cow, this sounds a lot like me. And in the most bizarre way possible, it made me feel good to not be alone yeah I'm like okay this is this is what I'm going through this is what I'm feeling like and this isn't this isn't me being weak this isn't me giving up and then when you find out that like no there's a lot of people that can't handle it and when we say can't handle it that line doesn't exist Mm -hmm. there is no line of you should be able to handle this and up and or this and below. Like that doesn't exist. It's it's different for every person.
1: Yeah. Cause everyone has their different walks of life, their different experiences, their different trauma triggers. You know, knowing what you went through and understanding yours, it's like now you know your path for yourself.
0: You know, my wife would be like, Hey, what would you like for dinner? And I'm like, You can't ask me that right now. Mm. I'm not I'm not capable of mentally taking the time or the energy I should say that I, I didn't have the energy because yeah, I did feel fragile. And I think that's what's the great thing about increasing the awareness for mental health is understanding the individual, but then understanding the group aspect of it as well. And there's a lot of people that go through the same thing from different triggers.
1: Mm -hmm. On TikTok, we have a lot of people that, I could tell that mental health is definitely something that people are very comfortable talking about this generation um, moving forward. So a lot of people are talking, you know, uh, what leads to just general sharing of symptoms people will turn to like five ways to know that you have this and they'll start listing Ugh. all these things and yeah for some people that's like okay i get that and then other people it's like it's not it, it, it can be it could be helpful or it could be hurtful you know depending on the circumstance and who the audience is you know what i mean
0: as long you know yeah if you take it as the first step then it's great right mm-hmm. it's like a web md right everything is cancer that's the joke. Yeah. But if it's like, Hey, maybe you should go see your doctor. I'm like, okay, that's a good step. It's as hard long to as that's not the your... only step.
1: I'm sorry. What, I'm sorry. What'd you say? I
0: was going to say, as long as it's not your only step.
1: Correct. Yes. And, and it's hard because when, when your brain is what's broken. And I say that very generally from my experience, it, you can't diagnose yourself from that same brain. You need Correct. someone outside an expert to help you through that. So when it comes to writers of this trope using madness, we've talked about how it's been used to, it could be very entertaining, like Lovecraft leans into madness. And we have the the entire thriller genre, uh, domestic thriller genre, which kind of leans on madness as well, Mm -hmm. where it could be really fun, right? And then we've talked about harmful representation that could lead to, you know, impacts in the real world. So as a writer, let's say I'm getting ready to write down this. I'm going to work on a psychological thriller now, and I'm going to portray, I'm going to be using some symptoms from people look online, schizophrenia, all these things, right? They want to use those symptoms. Where's the line between responsible and irresponsible representation of mental health?
0: What it comes down to is um, what I hope all writers do. And that's really doing your research and having really taking the time to make sure that you're giving the elements you're trying to portray the reality that they are. So I don't know if uh, you play a lot of video games. Have you ever heard of Hellblade? I've heard of it, not played it, but yes, I've heard of it. Okay. It's called Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. It's a video game that takes place back in the the Viking Age, um, and it depicts a young Celtic woman who is suffering from legitimate, like schizophrenia, psychosis. What the Creators of the video game did was bring in experts. They brought in professionals, doctors, even people who do suffer from a psychosis. They brought them in and said, here's what we want to do. What's the most appropriate way to do it? And these you know, professionals were with them the entire time. They became part of their studio and were consulted from the beginning all the way up until the end to make sure that things like hallucinations, both auditory and visual, and delusions or paranoia where you know you see things in, in books. And you're like, ooh, this was written for me. This is a secret code. The Beautiful, uh, beautiful Mind did this uh, with um, the mathematician John Nash. There are codes written. Or do you see that red car out there? That, yeah, that's, that's the sign. Like those sorts of things are like, we want to do this appropriately. But we also want to tell an entertaining story. I thought that that was just an, just an amazing, amazing thing to do. Saying like, we are going to make a game for the masses, but let's stay true let's stay true to what's really going on. You know, when you have people that actually have psychosis or schizophrenia going, Hey, you guys did a good job with this. Like, I think that's, you know, if you get their seal of approval, you've got it made.
1: Yeah. Sensitivity readers, people, experts. Yeah. It's such a good idea to get those perspectives involved.
0: Yeah. It's like I said earlier, you know, if you're always depicting a depressed person as a, you know, a goth quote unquote you're alienating a lot of people mm-hmm. that have it and if you really do your due diligence and make sure like hey if i'm gonna have show people going mad let's let's do it appropriately so i actually had the opportunity because i work at a coffee shop for a living uh, it's sort of like the morning person's bar you know, so I get to meet a lot of people, and I actually got to meet a um uh, retired psych uh, retired psychiatrist who primarily worked with people who had psychosis. and he's very interesting to, uh, it's very interesting to talk to him. And I so I asked him, like, hey, what are your things that you hate? And he's like, because everything in media has to be so simple. He's mm-hmm. like, it's never simple. Like there are times when even doctors have a very hard time like, is this psychosis? Is this delirium? is this something else going on? Um, And all the stages that are involved, like it's never cut and dry.
1: So Ian, I want to wrap this up, but I want to make sure I've got everything that you wanted to say. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about this topic?
0: I think there's great resources out there. And I think that just as as our PSA, you know, if this is something that you think you're struggling with, if you think someone else is, like, get help. There's there's people out there that are there to help you. I got help. I wouldn't be here if I didn't get help. But with that said, I don't want to give the impression that I'm like poo-pooing the idea of using madness because I really do think it's an intriguing topic. And if, if we use it in the sense of like a psychotic break um, with your examples, with other examples that um, you know I've read, there's some short stories that I've read from like um, Asimov and Ray Bradbury that sort of play around with it, that like, I don't like, it's still a great story. We just mm-hmm. have to be careful and, and use it in a responsible manner.
1: How can our listeners find you, Ian?
0: So I am on Instagram at Ian Young writes. I also have a website ianyoungwrites.com. young uh, You can use the links in any of those. My book, The Automaton uh, is out available on Amazon, both as an ebook and a print edition. Um, and, and you should do an audiobook. You have a good voice for it.
1: <laughs> I'll listen to that in an instant. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Well, how much time do you have left? I have a copy. I could just start reading if you want.
1: Uh, <laughs> Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open, or you can email speculativesandbox at gmail.com.